Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Uh, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. We will read your review on the air. And the next person to do that will get a copy of the 4K Blu-ray of I Spit on Your Grave. We also do uh, have a Patreon page where we did a full-on, long-form podcast about I Spit on Your Grave if you want to hear it there. Patreon.com slash CriticsPod. The best place to help support the podcast. We also have episodes regarding music, uh, specifically... Uh, Nirvana, Nevermind, Metallica, the Black Album, and the Beatles, Abbey Road. We have more where we want to do, just trying to find the time. So go to patreon.com slash criticspod to help put the podcast and get those bonus episodes. And we are live on YouTube. Uh, if you follow us on our social media platforms, you'll know when we go live. Uh, we post it there, usually Monday evenings, sometimes Sundays. Uh, and last but not least, T Public, I hate critics.net. Click on the T Public link in the right hand corner, upper right hand corner, and get yourself some podcast merch if you want some of that. All right. <laughs> Let's jump right into this exciting week of movies. <laughs> uh, I know many of you are here for Scream. We will get to that. Uh, not the new one. <laughs> Because uh, I'll tell the story then. All right, go ahead, tell uh, the story. Uh, but, uh, all right, I, I I got paranoid. I did. I the, the it was really crowded at the movie theater to go see Scream, and so I got to the theater and I'm looking around. Uh, I didn't even walk in because I looked in the. I just looked into the lobby of the theater. I'm like, there's no way, knowing which theater this is in, uh, which which screening this was uh, there was no way there's going to be any social distancing there's no way that uh <laughs> with this crowd that there was going to be any way to have any type of away from people and right. a lot of, and most people weren't wearing masks and i know that i'm fully boosted i'm i've got all of the shots and the thing about it is though is that i'm prone to upper respiratory problems and uh i i I I just I I got paranoid. I you know even at even at Spider Man I was able to distance because I knew which theater it was in and it was a it was the largest theater in the building so I knew that I would have space and I did. <laughs> and but this one I know I know that this was not the largest theater in in the building and there was no way there was going to be any distance and there was a lot of people in there who really don't care if they get, if they get COVID or not and I do I do care so I passed up on little pay they give me to do this and just because I, I really am very nervous about this from what I hear nobody seems to be all that excited about the movie anyway <laughs> uh, am I wrong in that it seems like people aren't really digging it I it, it depends on where you look like I read a lot of really good reviews early on but then I they fell off after the movie opened so I'm not sure exactly where it stands alright but it's we're still going to talk about the original Scream, which is way more fun to talk about anyway. So we yeah. will get to that middle of the show or late in the show. For now, we're going to talk about all the new releases we or Sean did see. And we will start with this year's Lal Yorona movie. 
uh, <laughs> the legend of La Girona. Yeah, there's this is the you know the last year there was or the year before there was La Llorona, then there was the curse of La Llorona before that, and now the legend of La Llorona, and this is somehow worse than those previous two La Llorona's. This movie stars Autumn Reeser and Antonio Cupo as a couple who traveled to Mexico t- to uh, try and get over the loss of their daughter that who was uh, who died in childbirth. Uh, they. Uh, have brought along their son, something they didn't tell anybody they were doing. So when they arrive at their place where they're staying, uh, the person who they're staying with is very surprised to see a child and uh, nervous because children in this area have been going missing a lot. And immediately this child almost goes missing just like right off the bat because these are a group of very smart people. Uh <laughs> This is the legend of La Llorona is a woman who was murdered. Uh, her baby was stolen from her, and she's been stalking and taking children from people for years out of revenge. Uh, wow, was this movie funny. Uh, not intentionally, not intentionally in any way, but this movie is completely hilarious with just how inept and silly it is. At one point, Autumn Reeser is chased down this hallway by La Llorona and La Llorona stops to stare at this picture ostensibly of, of her or whoever killed her. And she just, she starts scratching the picture like a cat, like just doing, just with her hands, just whacking at the picture with like, like she has kitty claws. It's very bizarre. Like why this happens, but also during this same sequence, Danny Trejo is shooting at a ghost. And it's effective. (laughs) (laughs) You sure it wasn't intentionally funny? (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) I'm pretty sure everybody's pretty everybody's pretty straightforward. There's no there's no indication here that they're not taking this seriously. I mean, I just think if I'm in the pitch room and it's like if I'm gonna pitch a comedy, Danny Trejo (laughs) shooting at a ghost is something I might throw out there. I mean, am I wrong? (laughs) No, you're not wrong, but again, nobody seems to betray any type of uh, comedic intent in this. It's it's all pretty straightforward. That's funny. Is it in the yeah. same world as the other two movies, or are we just Doesn't using mention the name? They're, they're all just using the same uh, legend. Were any of them good? I thought maybe the first one was, or maybe La I'm confusing it. The second one, La Llorona, the, the one that was made in uh, Colombia or, or Central America somewhere. It was. It was. That one was okay. <laughs> the best version of this by far, no question. Not the comedy. Uh, are you sure there weren't any Wayne brothers in the background doing anything? <laughs> if only. If only. <laughs> I mean, in their movie, Danny Trejo would be in it, shooting a ghost. Ah. <laughs> uh. That should be a shirt. Danny Trejo shooting at ghosts. <laughs> like another one no one would buy, but still. Uh. All right. Note to myself. Okay. <laughs> Anything else on this? Uh, no, nah, nah, it's, it's awful. Number one comedy of 2022 so far. <laughs> so far. All right. Let's go to Bell. Bell. This is a nationwide release for this uh, animated film uh, out of Japan by director Mamoru Hosada. It uh, tells the story of a young girl whose mother uh, passed away several years earlier. Uh, Her mother was a hero. She rescued a little child, but uh, 
obviously our our hero uh she's she misses her mom and she's kind of she's kind of got this mixture of both grief and guilt because she feels bad for wishing that her mom had let this other child die so she could have her mom and that is like such a very true and amazing like insightful feeling uh for a character to have because people forget you know when somebody dies heroically that the people left behind can have that sort of guilt like that where they wish they weren't a hero and that's you know then you feel bad for thinking that uh she's since then you know she used to be a singer when she was a very young child she stopped singing and uh, just kind of retreated inside of herself uh, very deeply. To, to, so now she's very shy as, a, as an older teenager. Um, she, she gets the chance to kind of come out of her shell when her friend introduces her to you, this new uh, this new social media phenomenon where you can go like inside the computer, like you can feel everything, you can see everything, all your senses are involved in this. And the technology is such that it enhances your skills. So if you're a great singer like she already was, it makes you an even better singer. And since she's got this beautiful avatar with this pink hair, uh, she and she can give herself a new name, which is Belle, uh, she begins to sing again. And she becomes this phenomenon. She becomes this huge superstar inside of you. Uh, when she's doing a concert, it gets interrupted by this sort of dragon-like creature who's a, one of the, a, a fighter in this universe, and she's very drawn to him. She's very drawn to the pain he's obviously uh, showing on his, on his very skin, and uh, she wants to help him. And this begins a sort of Beauty and the Beast-style romance, but it's not going anywhere where you think it's going. Meanwhile, there's also a story going on in the real world where she's got you know, her friend and this guy that she likes who are trying. Uh, the friend is a very good friend who's helped her you know, become this superstar. The boy is somebody who's trying to talk to her and trying to be her friend, but she can't accept that he would like her. And it's just beautiful. This movie is gorgeous. I loved every second of this. And I can't, I can't say I'm objective in that because this is a movie about somebody who lost her mom and having you know, lost my mom. Uh, yeah, I, it hit me in a different way. It hit me in a different way. I can say that. Uh, and if I say any more, I'll probably start to choke up a little bit because it's just it's that it's that level of good. It's that kind of art where it just reaches you, if you especially if you reach it, especially if you're identifying with it that way. It, it, it really it'll really get to you. So I, I love this movie. I think it's uh, one of the best things I've seen in a while, and uh, I can't say enough good things about Bell. That's awesome. So this you is like a game or like a world of warcraft minecraft kind of world it's, a so, it's more it's a social media but a, like an interactive social media like you're fully immersed inside of it so you it's all about just meeting people and doing things that you do you know you can become a, it's like it's a lot like ready player one okay all right god i hope we don't go that direction <laughs> but this is way better than well, no, no, I, I, one. well even i still don't want to live in that world like i, I yeah. even during like covid there was like concerts within roblox and minecraft and like no i don't want to <laughs> i mean like real bands were doing shows and, and you'd have yeah. to uh, that's just i don't i guess i'm getting old so it doesn't matter does it so what do i care <laughs> kids do whatever you want your kids are going to grow up in a world where they're just locked in a room with a VR headset and a full suit on, and you're never going to see them again in person. Got to deal with that, so go for it. That's <laughs> as long as I don't got to do it. 
Uh, <laughs> I forget that I'm already halfway there, if not further. <laughs> God forbid. Uh, so, uh, who cares? <laughs> Advance all you want. Uh, I'll still go. I'll see, stay right here. <laughs> right. I'll still go to my old guy concerts and <laughs> try not to get COVID. Uh, <laughs> it, but this does sound fairly amazing. So that's really cool. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful. The animation is gorgeous. Just everything about it is is really fantastic. Is it able to be seen yet? Streaming? Yeah, it's it's in theater and not, not streaming. It's in it's in theaters nationwide, which is kind of unusual for a movie like this. That's awesome, though. Uh, come on, the pink cloud. The pink cloud. I have to preface this by saying that this is a movie that was made before COVID. I have to say that because the premise of this film is that there is a pink cloud that kills you within 10 seconds of, of you being close to it. And it forces everyone to uh, inside their homes. Uh, you have to stay inside until the pink cloud goes away. And nobody knows when the pink cloud is going to w- go away. Uh, there are these two characters who just had a one night stand and they wake up together. And there's a, there's this uh, announcement on some unseen loudspeaker going, get inside your homes right now and stay there. And so they are trapped together, uh, these two, and they don't know how long they're going to be there. And in, it goes on for some time. Uh, this is going to go on to a point where uh, years go by and the pink cloud never goes away. And it uh, forces these two into this relationship with each other where they, they're sort of strangers who've had sex and then they become romantic couple and then they hate each other and they can't get away from each other. Uh, and all, all Various different things happen. One of the amazing things about this is that and it, it fascinated me the way that people, the way that the world can adapt. And it's scary to think about this because we're in a time when, when climate change is getting ever closer to creating a world that's going to be difficult to function in. And the amazing thing is here, instead of trying to find a way to get rid of the pink cloud, everybody just sort of deals with it and accepts it. And the government starts like they come up with a way to deliver food to your house without having to you know, physically do it. And so everybody just adapts and they just let the pink, ha- pink cloud happen. And that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> Because I can see us kind of being like, we're doing it right now on Zoom. Like, we can just adapt to anything and just go to let it happen. And it'll be fine. Uh, We're kind of doing that with COVID, actually. Uh, So this movie kind of becomes very, very prescient in that way. And then another thing that's, that's very predictive about this movie is that it is what we would do. Everybody thinks that that we would descend into dystopia. You know, everybody thinks that the that the world would break down and there'd be riots everywhere or whatnot. No, we'd all just stay home and get very, very bored. <laughs> that's pretty much what we would do, and that's kind of what these characters do. But they're these are such interesting characters that they're never boring, even as even as they're being you know just kind of going through the mundanity of being trapped in this house together. I think this movie is fantastic. I think the director, Yuli Jabazi, is a, a real tremendous voice. And, you know, I'm having a very weird 2022 where it's like a lot of bad horror movies and two very good Brazilian science fiction movies. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the. I remember when COVID first started, everybody kept talking about, I can't wait to see when this movie comes out about this whole pandemic. I'm like, no, it's not going to be good. It'll be boring. Uh, it's not going to be a good. You'll have to do a don't look up or something like, or even something like this, which by the poster says any resemblance to actual facts is pure, purely coincidental. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, even a true, like, if zombie apocalypse were to happen, like, the true version of that would be more of them as a nuisance more so than running for our lives it'd be like oh god i gotta kill him before i go to work you know it'd be like a coyote or something like that just avoid it <laughs> i mean if you really think about it you're happy there's a hundred percent it's really cool this movie takes that approach uh yeah. but it it's still depressing that that's because that's pretty accurate we would find a way to live yeah. with it and not make it better Exactly. And I I feel like our government is already doing that with climate change. Like they're already trying to find a way to to prime us to be ready for when the world is uninhabitable. <laughs> yeah. I just want to know when like we have hundreds of years or dozens of years or years. <laughs> <laughs> we might get lucky, uh, you and I, we're at, at our age, but <laughs> Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like the bell. <laughs> Do what you want, kids. <laughs> uh, all right. Hopefully this doesn't become a thing. Uh, La Patasola. La Patasola is another terrible horror movie about a Mexican legend. Uh, two couples go on vacation together. They're going camping. They're told along the way by a police officer, hey, you don't want to be here. A lot of people have gone missing in the forest. And they're like, yeah, whatever. We're going. It'll be fine. <laughs> it won't be fine. Uh, are, both couples are, are are in trouble. They are uh, you know, hating each other. And uh, the couples hate each other, even though they don't really talk about it. Uh, the There's a, a black couple who... The, the the woman is uh, very upset that her boyfriend is too passive. He doesn't you know he doesn't act you know out in a masculine way. He doesn't challenge her in any way, and she's thinking of breaking up with him. And the the white couple is uh, this very one of them is this very abrasive right wing sort of right, white guy who's got an opinion about everything and he's very obnoxious. And the what and he doesn't have a job. His wife is supporting them both, and she's resenting him over that. And those things will be revealed as we go along. And then there's this monster, uh, La Patasola, which is a Mexican legend about a one-legged woman who kills people who are cheating on their spouse. And <laughs> it's complete and utter nonsense, and it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> a one-legged woman that kills people that cheat on their spouse. Yeah, yeah. She was cheated on, or she was cheating on somebody, or she was cheating on her husband with somebody and got caught and uh, was murdered. And her grief was so much that uh, she created, she, she turned herself into the monster La Patasola to punish those who stray from their marriage. And it's effective with the one leg. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. The one leg, the other, the leg, the one legged thing, like the thing she grows like a wooden leg when she's a monster uh, i think gotcha. uh, but when she's just the just wearing white and she's got the white flowing dress on she's very pretty and she's singing a song in the forest to draw you in like 
I just like La Llorona, actually. <laughs> That's exactly what La Llorona does. <laughs> I uh, they then yeah that's then she turns into the monster with like tree trunk legs or whatever. Gotcha. All right, we can that silly on. mask you can see in the poster. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. All right, <laughs> a cops and robbers story. This is a uh, a true story. Uh, this is a documentary about a man named Eric Pegues. Eric Pegues is a New York Police Department commander. He rose through the ranks of the NYPD, NYPD to become an actual commander, which is like right below captain, like one of the biggest things you can be in, in the NYPD. The thing that people didn't know about Eric Pegues was that uh, growing up, he was a gang member at a drug dealer. Uh, he was uh, he grew up in Brooklyn on the well, working on a corner uh, selling drugs. And one day uh, a guy came up and popped him in the head with a you know, just with the butt of a gun and told him to get out of there. I'm taking your corner. He came back the next day with his own gun and was intending to kill this guy, but he'd never fired a gun before. He put the gun to the guy's chest and pulled the trigger and it just went click because he didn't know how to slide the, the thing to make it actually fire. Uh, the guy then turned his gun on him, and Pegues ran. And uh, after that, he ran so far that he actually found himself outside of a military recruiting office and went in and said, how fast can you get me out of town? And they got him out of town the next day. Uh, they got him into the military and took him down south. And he spent two years in the military before returning to New York and then joining the NYPD. There's this amazing scene he ta- he describes here where he was a member of the Supreme, which was uh, this drug dealing outfit in New York that was like like it was like what uh, Wesley Snipes's organization was in uh, in New Jack City. Like this is what New Jack City, I think, might have been based on the Supreme, honestly. Uh, and he was a member of that. And and as he joined the after he joined the NYPD and he rose to the rank of sergeant, he became a trainer and. They sent him a VHS tape that he, that he was to use in his training that day, and it was a training on the on how they took down the Supreme. And it had this like thing of pictures of guys who were members of the Supreme. He's like, "Oh crap, is my picture on this?" <laughs> because nobody in the NYPD knew that he used to be a gang member. Uh, so we watch him come up that way, and we watch him uh, through his career, and and. And him rising up. And then he becomes very vocal about uh, changing the way police, the police think, changing the what the police procedures are. He gets into police reform. And that's when he's forced to retire and he ends up going on a podcast and admitting that his gangster passed. And this is the way that this is what they used to take him down and try and tell you that his voice doesn't matter anymore because he lied to the NYPD. And that's kind of that's kind of a thumbnail sketch of what this documentary is. It's not the whole thing. There's so much more to this guy's story. And he's such a fascinating person. I mean, he went from being a gang member and a drug dealer at 17 to it, uh, uh, 30, 30 years later, he's meeting President Obama <laughs> and shaking his hand. Like, there's a picture of that. And it's that's quite amazing what this guy did. He was given every garbage assignment, the worst stuff, and he just took that. He took that opportunity. Like he's just incredibly smart. So while they were giving him crap assignments, he was using that time to study the police manual and test out of where he was. And he kept testing out of 
each layer of the NYPD till he got to commander. That's impressive. And this sounds really, really interesting. Uh, it's very good. Available right now to stream somewhere? I believe it is, yes. Circle that one. That looks like a very interesting movie. All right. It's a fun transition. <laughs> Sex Appeal on Hulu. Yes, uh, Sex Appeal is the story of a teenage girl who's a high achiever. She's very smart. She's very proud of her high achieving uh, academics, and she pl- she's ten- she says she's pretty good at everything. Uh, she's uh, got a boyfriend who she met at a STEM conference a year ago, and she wants to he wants to take their relationship to the next level. He wants them to have sex the next time they see each other, which is about thirty days from when he says that. And she decides, well, if I'm going to have sex, I need to be very, very good at sex because I'm very, very good at everything. And so she sets about creating for herself a series of uh, experiments to figure out what's the best. How do you be the best at sex? And that includes uh, uh, starting to have uh, certain experiments with her best friend, uh, who's uh, you can see the po- I don't remember either character's name. I apologize. <laughs> I don't have my review it's in okay. front of me. But uh, uh, this movie is very, very interesting in that way. And that is, is a cr- incredibly sex positive movie. Like there's none of that uh, bullshit about shaming people. They're talking about safe sex. They're talking about uh, appealing sex. They're talking about good sex the whole time. She's building an app, hence the title sex app eel. Uh, she's making an app to help people get good at sex. And and people are very open to her talking about it, even as it can be kind of awkward uh, when she kind of runs up to people and asks them very blunt questions about sex. Uh, the, everybody seems to respond to her in a way like, well, yeah, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and and it, usually that's played for like very awkward laughs. And there are a couple of times where they do that here, but not nearly as much. And that makes this that at least gives this movie kind of a hook. It makes it a little better, certainly than the movies we talked about this week. The main issue with it is that it's not inter- outside of the sex positive stuff. It's just not very original. Like the character, the main character, the female character, she's very much a, a combination of Leonard and Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. You know, she's got Sheldon's filterless way of speaking to people in very awkward fashion. She's got Leonard's sort of trepidations about uh, about himself and about his Im- you know, self image and self worth. Uh, then. You've got all the then, of course, it's got to pile on all these references to 80s teen comedies to the point where at one point she walks into the band room where her best friend is and she does the, you know, the the thing. She holds her phone over her head and plays the Peter Gabriel song. Like It's just it's the all these references get to the point where the movie doesn't have a personality of its own beyond the sex stuff. And that's really unfortunate. I think that drags the movie down. Yeah, if I don't ever have to see anybody hold that a boombox or anything over their head and play that Peter Gabriel song again, I'd be good. Yeah, uh, see, it's, it's such a such a bad joke these days. Like, I love that Peter Gabriel song, but it's, it's we've gone too far with that right. with that joke. The joke's not funny anymore. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the free fall. The Free Fall stars Sean Ashmore as Nick, the husband of a woman who uh, is recovering from having taken her own life. So this is a bizarre story. This woman is going to her parents' home where they are be- where they are to be uh, getting remarried. They're they're renewing their vows, 
she arrives there and she walks into their bedroom and finds her mother repeatedly stabbing her father in the chest just over and over again mindlessly. Uh, then the mother slits her own throat and is dead herself. So the, we don't see it, but the character played by Andrea Leondo, who's the lead here, uh, goes into their bathroom, climbs in the tub and cuts her wrists. And next time we see her, her husband has rescued her and wrapped her up and put her in the, the bed. Uh, questionable decision on his part to use the same home where her parents were. <laughs> where her parents just were, you know, where one parent murdered another and then took her own life. He puts her literally in the same bed. <laughs> I assume he changed the seats. I didn't see any blood, but still, I, it's the same fucking room for fuck's sake. Uh, but that's that's of course supposed to. There's a whole twist involved, but it's so stupid that it doesn't really matter. Uh, the reality that she's facing. We don't know if it's real or not. She doesn't know if it's real or not. There are other aspects of things that may be real or may not be real. And this movie is just so clumsy. It, it wants to be hereditary. It wants to be midsummer. Like it wants to have that level of shock and that level of art. And it just never remotely gets there. It's like it's too much because they don't have nearly the, the artistry that uh, Ari Aster does. They don't have that attention to detail that he has. They've got a very low budget here, so it looks like a lifetime movie. And you can't do what Ari Aster does on a lifetime budget. You just can't. Is and it, Without his type of cinematography and genius, you just can't pull it off. And this movie feels like like a dime store version of that. Well, yeah, I mean, if Ari Aster would have made it, this character, if it's in the same room that her parents had all this happen, he would have found a way to make that work and make sense. There would have been a reason for it. <laughs> or he wouldn't have done it at all. Uh, probably the latter. But regardless, you know, he would have paid attention to that detail yeah. and made it work. Uh, here, you're just like questionable decision. <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of takes you out of the movie <laughs> when you kind start of, yeah. thinking about things like that. Uh, it does have an explanation, but it's so dumb that I just I can't even bother. Right. Well, that's almost worse. <laughs> All right, now I can start participating participating in the show because I've seen the rest of these movies. So let's start with The Tragedy of Macbeth. Yes, The Tragedy of Macbeth stars Denzel Washington and uh, Francis McDormand in the story of a man who uh, is had on a you know this desperate quest for power he's a a warrior he's just returning from the war and he's warned by a witch that uh that here's what's going to happen in your life and he, and he seems to be getting everything that he wants but of course it's coming at the cost of his very soul and who better to play that than Denzel Washington he is amazing in this movie and this is not the Denzel Washington who shouts every moment and you know goes completely you know nuts but he does i mean he does have moments where it's like very big and broad but it feels more natural here than it did in say fences or some of his more recent performances that i've i've not really enjoyed and i think part of the uh, part of the part of what makes it work is that he's working with francis mcdormand who's just a genius she's just so perfect in this movie playing lady Macbeth. uh these characters are are iconic in in the way that Shakespeare created them, and they've these char- these these actors are living to that. Uh, this is directed by Joel Cohen without his brother, which is very interesting. 
Uh, he said that he probably couldn't make this movie with his brother. Not, not that his brother isn't interested in Shakespeare, just that he, the way he wanted to do it is not the typical way that they make movies. And he's made an incredible film. I mean, you've got this amazing cast. Brendan Gleeson plays the king. You've got uh, uh, Corey Hawkins in this movie, who's got a tremendous supporting role. Everybody in this is so good, though. And it's just immersive and exciting and unique. The witch character is just, she is haunting. (laughs) I wish I could remember the lady's name. I apologize for not being able to remember her name because she's probably going to get an Oscar nomination. She she's amazing. The way the way they use that character is extraordinary, and everything about this movie is amazing. I love this movie. I agree. At the same time, it's like I, you almost don't need to see it because you know what it is. <laughs> you got, you got <laughs> two of the greatest actors in their generation, and Denzel and Francis McDormand. Uh, you got a Coen brother. You got Shakespeare. You know what this movie is. Uh, there's they kind of film it like a play, so there's a little bit of a gimmick there too, which is it works and it allows for the the. I mean, you talked about how the last uh, the tender bar where it's just watching actors act that happens here, but the fact that it's filmed the way it's filmed works better in this movie, and they're all doing it, not just a handful of people. Uh, yeah so it's i mean you're just watching everybody act but it it works in the environment but you know what this is (laughs) i mean everything about it you can predict that said it doesn't make it any less fantastic and uh, it's very watchable it's not long at all hour and 45 minutes you would think a coen brother and shakespeare combined would be (laughs) a long movie uh and and you got two of the best ever in Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, so uh, insanely watchable, insanely good. Uh, it never feels like homework. No, this movie. never. You, know, you, you, you might assume it because of all of the all the elements involved, but it, it is uh, it's engrossing. Uh, you know the look of the film, the black and white, the the uh, there's almost like a kind of uh, Lars von Trier vibe yes. to the to the visuals, you know, especially like. Kind of reminiscent of Dogville, a little uh-huh. bit of melancholia in there, like a very, uh, very similar look, and that uh, that look really works for this movie. I was thinking that the whole time. I agree completely. Then you throw in the A twenty four vibe. I mean, everything about it is great. Uh, it's just I don't really know what to say that you can't. I mean, you just describe what it is, and you know what it is. You, know, <laughs> you can't mess it up. It can't yeah. be bad. Uh, and this has the I think this has Denzel's uh, best scene in decades. I mean, truly, like the there's a scene where there's just a room filling up with water, and he's being tormented by the witch. And that scene, he he's not even really saying all that much. It's just, but the way he plays that scene is so effective, and it's breathtaking to watch. Oh yeah, it's. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of what my favorite performances would have been last year, but this is right up there. I mean, both of them, both him and Francis McDormand were uh, Oscar-worthy performances for sure. Uh, I'd imagine he gets nominated, right? I think so. At least Denzel is certainly going to get nominated. Uh, They're talking about the woman who played the witch uh, is being talked about for a Best Supporting Actress, and that's certainly deserved because, again, she is just haunting. (laughs) Yeah, it's on Apple 
Plus or Apple TV right now. So if you want to watch it, it's there. Uh, it's a must see. It is, you know, it, it's a must see. It's Denzel Washington and Shakespeare. I mean, it's you can't really go wrong. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget the one of the Coen brothers, A24, Francis, <laughs> all of that combined into one. It's exactly what you think it is, and it's worth watching. But it, it lived up to it, though. That's the thing, too, is it lived up to that that uh, that level of quality. You say that, but I mean, did you expect it not to at all? I mean, I just kind of... There was, there was part of me that was like, could this even possibly live up to my expectations? Really? And then it did. Then it exceeded it. Yeah, I suppose that's the better phrase is exceeds, but uh, I just, I knew, I just, the whole time I just kind of felt like I'd, I'd been here before I knew, I mean, it, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, I just, you have the best of the best in every aspect of this of right now, and they proved why they're the best of the best, and it, and it worked great. Uh, it was so nice to watch a Denzel movie and not be disappointed. It's been a while for me because <laughs> I've I've found Denzel's recent choices to be very uh, disappointing, and uh, this this was certainly not. This was some of his best work ever. Right. All right. Let's move on to our classic, and let's talk about the original Scream from 1996. Was it? That's it. 1996, uh, directed by Wes Craven. Written by Kevin Williamson and starring Neb Campbell as uh, Sydney Prescott, a young woman who's recovering from her mother having been murdered a year before. She's uh, dating a guy played by Skeet Ulrich, who's wanting to advance their relationship. But uh, things take a turn because there's a killer in town. Uh, one of two of their classmates have been murdered. And it's kind of triggering a little PTSD for Sydney, obviously, considering it's the nearly the one year anniversary of her mother's own murder uh there's also questions about whether or not the person who went to jail for her mother's murder actually did it and uh that's that's a button kind of being pressed by courtney cox as a as gail weathers a uh, reporter who comes to town to report on the murders uh the murderers then after their initial two murders target sydney and immediately suspicion falls on her boyfriend and that becomes a whole other trauma that she's trying to deal with all the while there's these kind of nods to classic horror that are being played out here that it you know all these rem- things are reminiscent of like the the call is coming from inside the house and there's a, this very acerbic dialogue and it's all the dialogue of this movie is really smart because it is very much the way kids in the 90s talk and I think that's the what makes what sets Scream apart in that way is this kind of there's a scene where they're just sitting around a they're sitting around a, a, a fountain uh, at their school and they're all having this very dark conversation and almost psych like also sociopathic tones of just recounting what they've heard about this murder in front of Sydney, who they know is traumatized from a year before, but they're all just sort of deadpan about it and. Man, that's so familiar to me. Because, <laughs> like, when you, when you grew up in our era, and you you just kind of become numb. Uh, you know, in the '90s, we had nothing going on, and <laughs> we were just kind of all just sort of numb, and and we always kind of talked that way. And that's what was so amazing about Scream is that it ca- on top of that, you know, you've got all the very you've got all the irony, you've got all the self-referential humor you've got you know your, your entire life is based off of the things you've seen in movies and television so you're just regurgitating that into the world like jamie kennedy's character does 
Uh, and then you've just got this really smart script that is playing with all these classic horror tropes and turning them on their head. And, it, you know, part of it, too, part of the excitement of this movie is that it comes along at a time when the slasher movie is just about dead. Like, I was looking at the box office from the year before, the highest grossing movie that you could consider even remotely similar is like one of the tales from the dark side movies. <laughs> like it's one of those, like it's so hard to find a, a horror film. You have to go back like to Candyman too uh, to find a horror film that was kind of a hit. But the thing, I mean, everything, there was a lot of things that were hitting, like, you know, if you made it for 5 million and you made eight, it's a hit. Like the, there's a lot of those coming out, but not, but the horror genre was basically in retreat at this right. time as, as opposed to what it was, you know, when Freddie was, when Freddie was, you know, super big. And this movie comes along and just, it's a complete breath of fresh air. It just changes the way people see horror movies. And it wasn't even a hit when it opened, it opened, it opened to about $6 million on December 20th of 96. And uh, then it just legged it out based off of people uh, word of mouth, just people talking about how amazing it is. And that's where it you know, rises to gross a hundred million dollars and inspire a sequel. Yeah, it's, it definitely held up. That was the one thing I was worried about going back to it. And I think, and I don't know if it would for kids or, you know, not kids, but you know, younger people, uh, I just remember what it was like before Scream. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I was young, but I, yeah. I, I definitely remember before. You know, one Drew Barrymore is the biggest star in this movie. Uh, I believe the marketing had her primarily the focus of the ad campaign, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, that's true. Now, Psycho I, had happened, but our generation hadn't had that yet. Uh, the two killer thing was something brand new that I had. I don't know. Maybe there's a movie that did it, but not the one I'm aware of. Uh, you talk about the dialogue you mentioned. All these things are clicking together, and really, you're making a landmark film that uh, that really took over that generation, especially for horror movies. It, I absolutely loved this movie. Uh, I, watching it again i was really i liked it better now than i did when i first saw it uh i just it was just really fascinating and really fun and it just really knocked the horror movie out of the park everything about it the characters were believable i mean i knew the jamie kennedy i knew the matthew lillard i knew i mean they were turned up don't i mean i'm not pretending like they're not but they were all turned up equally you know from what reality was and I, i just and we were living in the era of hard copy and inside edition and all these, yeah. you know, <laughs> tabloid shows Heard that actually fair. worked yeah. its way into the actual news now. But at the time, that was a difference. Like you knew the bullshit and you knew the real stuff. <laughs> at least you, or at least there was a line drawn. Yeah. Uh, and so even the Courtney Cox character makes sense. Uh, and even you know people give a lot of shit to the to the relationship between Gale and Dewey. I thought there's a, there's a couple of really smart scenes that explains how they end up where they end up. Absolutely, because uh, I think I think way, the way Courtney Cox plays it, you know, initially she's just trying to get information from him, and she's just you know she thinks he's a dupe who she can take for you know information. But then she has a scene with him where they're just walking along the road and having a conversation and. Uh, she's kind of she just kind of finds him to be charming 
And it, and it kind of makes sense that they're going to fall for each other eventually. And I, I really appreciated that. Uh, the way those two, the, the chem- and granted, they were married at the time, but uh, the, the, the chemistry between the two of them is, is really, really strong, even as his character is treated like kind of a goof. Well, didn't they get married because of this movie? Isn't that how it worked? I don't remember exactly yeah. how the timeline yeah. was. <laughs> I thought they met here. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. But th- yeah, they, they get along great. Uh, I mean, even Rose McGowan does a great job of carrying the movie along and her limited role in it. Uh, what happened to Skeet Ulrich? I don't know. <laughs> Such a cool looking guy. Uh, but even the ending is just so bloody and kind of messed up that, yeah. you know, it, it it holds up with some of the classic horror movies that have great endings. So, I, I mean everything about it i just really really well done it really comes back to the script you know as much as you want to give Wes craven credit because he's made some shit including other scream movies yeah i know i scream 2 is actually pretty good Scream 4 is actually pretty good too really i haven't seen four three is Scream 4 is not bad three is terrible it's one of the worst but the thing about that is is that kevin williamson wrote one two and four and was gone on three. That was written by Aaron Kruger, and you can tell the difference very, very much. Uh, where Kevin and Kevin Williamson is really the secret, uh, the secret ingredient here. His his very modern take on on teenagers and the way that teenagers talk and interact with each other. Uh, his his take on you know he, he had the, just the this perfect storm of influences to be to have him working with Wes Craven was absolutely perfect. Cause you've yeah. got a guy who you've got Craven who knows how to do splatter and you've got Williamson. Who's got this very fresh take on the genre. Uh, he, you know, he, he comes from the, he comes to this from Dawson's Creek <laughs> and, and writes this. And it's, it's kind of perfect because he makes so much that, sense. It does. Right. When you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it's specifically the generation teenage, the generation X teenager. You know, he yeah. really nails that. Uh, th- is he part of this new one, or is he? Is he even? With uh, us he's anymore? not. I don't think either he or Wes Craven really had much to do with the new one, as I understand it. Right, and I know part three was kind of Gremlins two ish, where you had a bunch <laughs> of studio heads just throwing ideas at the yeah. wall. Uh, but I, I just go watch this movie if you haven't seen it and go watch it again if you have it really is that good uh it deserves to be talked about with the greats as far as i'm concerned i mean it ran the 90 it was the movie of the 90s for horror films as far Very as i true. Can remember <laughs> that's a that's not a big a big no. lot i mean it's like this and blair witch came out in 99 <laughs> right and blair witch is kind of that <laughs> I mean, both this and Blair Witch are kind of the reasons movies took a downturn as well because everybody started copying it. Yeah. Uh, when you, you know, it's interesting to look back at the horror genre because you know people throw Silence of the Lambs into the horror genre and Interview with the Vampire into the horror genre. And, eh, I get it. I don't really see either of those as horror movies. I mean, I, I I'm a big fan of keeping genres broad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate when we break down into little things, so I'm more of a I. I get it. I'm I'm more in that camp, uh, but I get why I get it both ways. I just those were just different too. I mean, this has you mix the pop culture in it too, which sounds of the lambs had, and so did interview the vampire. But it was just different. I don't know. This is definitely more popcorn, but in a just a very smart way. Yeah. 
All right. Next week, we've got Nocturna A and B side. Yeah, it's a it's a two part movie that is actually being released at the at the same time, which is a interesting, uh, certainly an interesting take. And I'll I'm going to try and get to both of them, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's like Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac or Guns N' Roses' <laughs> Usual Illusions. Either there way, you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a shot through the wall, the King's Daughter, and stop Zendia. That yeah all right i think those are yeah there's like i'm not even sure if there's a nationwide release next week yeah so more of you really got to get to march <laughs> yeah and then it starts yeah. to make the show easy but our classic's gonna be the king's speech uh oscar winner i've never seen so i'm looking forward to finally getting that off the list even though i heard it's just kind of <laughs> good but you, know, you don't need yeah to. <laughs> Yeah, as we're finding out, I think this 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 Oscar season is sort of proving out that the movie that that wins Best Picture is the movie that the most people agree on, and right. not necessarily the best movie. And so, you know, that's why Belfast is probably going to win Best Picture. And I like Belfast; it's fine, it's gentle and pleasant, and a lot of people can agree on it. West Side Story is kind of a movie that a lot of people can agree on. Uh, although I think we're all going to be kind of embarrassed about that one. Years from now, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I don't know. I, I, I the the best picture thing. Yeah, it's it's rare. It's rare that it, that we have it arrive the way it does. What about the tragedy Macbeth? Well, that's got to be up there, right? You would think, but the the buzz doesn't seem to be there outside of Denzel's performance. They seem wow. to be prepared to honor him, and maybe. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, the, everything is really coalescing around around Belfast, with maybe the power of the dog kind of on the outside with an outside shot, but it's far more divisive, so less likely to win. And then West Side Story. I guess if it's the the possible scenario is West Side Story and Belfast sort of divide the easily pleased audience, and Power of the Dog maybe sneaks in there. We'll see. Man, I like that movie, so I wouldn't be upset if that one won. Uh, but yeah, 1992 Love Crimes came out for next week. I don't even remember what came out this week. Uh, the Gnome oh, Named Norm or something like that. And a Gnome Named Norm and Juice. Uh, if you're going to watch, if you want to know anything about a Gnome Named Norm, just listen to the How Did This Get Made episode on it with uh, Paul Shear and Jason Manzukis. <laughs> they they give it the treatment that it don't, that it deserves. Uh, it's a gnome cop buddy comedy buddy comedy. As only they could do. <laughs> exactly. It's built for them. It's not built for anybody else. Uh, Juice, of course, is actually a pretty great movie. Right. Uh, about with uh, Tupac Shakur and Omar Epps, and uh, you know, a lot of good things about that film that uh, I would I would highly recommend you check out. Absolutely. All right. Let's do a quick round of. Uh, flick chart. My wife's texting me to hurry up, so let's knock <laughs> a few of these out. Super Mario Brothers or Blazing Saddles? Blazing Saddles. Absolutely. Dark Man, Shutter Island. Shutter Island. I don't love Shutter Island, but I like it more than Dark Man. Yeah. I don't love or hate either one of them. They're just kind of there. The Adventures of Tintin, Pocahontas, The Legend. 
Never heard of that one. I've Sorry. heard of Tin. I've seen Tintin. Yeah, Tintin or Annie. Tintin. UHF or Jumper? <laughs> UHF. Uh, Uncle Buck or Insomnia? Insomnia. Great movie. <laughs> but it's like, would you rather watch Uncle Buck or have Insomnia? Yeah, I, yeah Insomnia is great. I can't wait till that turns 30. Uh, the Usual Suspects, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Uh, as much as as much as there's a stench that comes off of Usual Suspects for all the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go with that one. I know. Assassination is, is almost a great movie. Almost. Right. It's that level below it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like right there. Yeah. Uh, Miller's Crossing, Anger Management. <laughs> Miller's Crossing, Easy one. Alice in Wonderland 2010, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Robin Hood Men in Tights. Law Abiding Citizen Up in the Air. Up in the Air. Absolutely. All Dogs Go to Heaven, The Descendants. <laughs> the Descendants. Go Clooney. The Island, Max Payne. Oh, God. They both really suck. Like, they both really suck. Uh, the Island, just because. Scarlett Johansson's in it. It's <laughs> a, a, a good go-to. Midnight Cowboy or Lost in Translation? Lost in Translation by a lot. Only because Scarlett Johansson's in it. Uh, the Seventh Seal, African Queen. The Seventh Seal. Miracle on 34th Street, the Psycho Remake. <laughs> Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, I know it's a shot for shot remake, but it's still terrible. Vince Vaughn is awful casting. <laughs> yeah, there's just so many, too many things wrong with that. Finding Neverland X2. Finding Neverland for me. I mean, it's shot for shot, sort of, but I mean, they still, I don't know. Like the shower I mean, they, scenes too much. Why, why show that much more just to have nudity in it or something? I, it's, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember the character masturbating so furiously in in the original Psycho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Despicable Me Two: Dead Man Walking. <laughs> dead Man Walking. Wish the Despicable Me minions were dead men walking. <laughs> Dirty Harry trading places. Trading places. Yeah. Dirty Dancing, American Pie. Dirty Dancing. This is an amazing film. It's one of those rare occasions where a movie just gets better with time. I didn't like it, but that's fine. <laughs> Eight-legged freaks, city slickers. City slickers. Yeah. Good night, nurse. You seen Never that seen that one. Uh, Reign of Fire, the Kingdom. The Kingdom is actually not a bad movie. Under Siege, Fast Five. Fast Five. Battle of uh, dumb movies. Die Hard or Superman 4. <laughs> Die Hard. <laughs> Gross Point Blank, What Dreams May Come. Gross Point Blank. What Dreams May Come, though, is a fascinating movie. It's a fascinating failure. It's a, it's a very bold 
artistic film that takes a lot of big chances and it just it's like one of those really big swing and a miss you know like you really you're, you're proud of them for taking the big swing but they missed by a lot i'm like the one guy that hates gross point blank but we'll go with it uh the girl with the dragon tattoo lucky number 11 lucky number 11 still love that movie agree completely deadpool children of the corn deadpool Stop making sense. Is that a stand-up comedy album? It looks like. It's a Talking Heads documentary. Oh. The Adjustment Bureau. Which one? <laughs> Stop making sense. I don't hate Adjustment Bureau like other people do, though. Uh, the original girl with the dragon tattoo, Miami Vice. Dragon tattoo. Yeah. The Ring, Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects. Stop making me pick that. <laughs> the, the Separate o- the art from the artists. Separate the, the art from the artists. The Omen or the Pacifier? The Omen. Although the Pacifier is a scarier movie. Yes. Because <laughs> Vin Diesel was taking it very seriously. <laughs> Bloodbath. Have you seen that one? No. Natural Born Killers, Black Snake Moan. Black Snake Moan. They're both failures, but that's a <laughs> different kind of failure. All right, what dreams one. may come? Uh, <laughs> all right, last one with Jack. What dreams may come? Sean picked what dreams may come. Because Jack is unwatchable. Wait, one more, it's, one more. It's, all right. All, do- <laughs> <laughs> all dogs go to heaven or evil dead too. <laughs> <laughs> Evil Dead 2. 